It's really good to see you. We're going to have a good time tonight. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 55. All right. Isaiah chapter 55 and look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach and teach your word. Lord, thank you for this time where we can come together and think. In Jesus' name, amen. What this, this series, this, this time that we're going to try to spend on these Sunday nights is about is this. For quite a while, years and years, ever since I became pastor here, over 17 years, on Wednesday nights we'd have question and answer. On Sunday mornings in the Sunday school hour, several years ago, we started doing question and answer. And I have enjoyed that time. Many times the class session itself. Now, how many of you are not in, uh, before we started this series, how many of you uh, are not a part of my class downstairs? I'm so sorry for you. Um, You all, and many of you are working, either you're working a job or you're involved in Awana and you don't participate in the Wednesday night services where I answer questions. So many of you who are here tonight have not been a part of our question and answer, our regular question and answer time. Often in those sessions uh, downstairs in the Sunday school hour, we never actually got to a lesson because our, our time was spent going through the Scriptures answering a question. And um, I often, often people would say, I wish I could answer a question like that. I wish I knew how to do what you're doing there. Now, some of it is um, the Lord gave me a good memory, and that's a blessing. And many of you, the Lord has blessed you with a good memory, and you're able to put facts together and remember where things are. How many of you here would say that you, you would not consider yourself as having a good memory? Would you raise your hand? All right. How many of you have pencils? Okay. So if you can write some stuff down that'll help you, that's a blessing. Um, Debbie, I don't think you'll mind. We were talking about a situation where Debbie was dealing with a family family member on some doctrinal things. And we were talking about it, and um, I gave her a copy of Brother Knox's books on, book on signs and wonders. And it's, she's had fun going through that and learning some things. Well, now, she has a good mind, but I doubt you have it memorized, you know, the whole book. And so what I suggested she do is take her Bible and those subjects. Um, my Bible has... Um, blank pages in the back. And so I can, I can just write lists of things on these blank pages, and that's been a blessing. But just find a place in your Bible to write down, if there's a, an area that you generally end up dealing with with your family, write those verses down so you know where they are. There's another uh, tool that you can use now that hasn't been available before, is you've got your cell phone. And so you can make a list of those verses in a notepad on your cell phone, and you'll always have it with you. In this area, we might deal with Roman Catholicism. Somebody asks you questions about Roman Catholicism. Well, you're never going to lead those people to the Lord by bashing their religion. Amen? 
It's not the way you're going to lead them to the Lord. But if they ask you, what are the differences? Well, it would be really good for you to have verses where you knew where they were that you can take them to. Now, here's what's going to happen. Often when you're in those conversations, you don't have your Bible with you. But we all have our cell phones, and your cell phone will have a Bible program. And if you have a notepad that has those topics and those verses listed for you on your phone, you've got it right there. You can just say, look, here's what the Bible says. Here it is. Look at it. And isn't that an amazing tool? Seriously, isn't that an amazing tool? And I know that many, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you're talking with someone and you know you've heard the answer to the question or the statement, someone will make a false statement and you know it's a false statement and you've heard the answer for it, but you can't quite remember what it was, right? We have these amazing tools available for us now. Make note of that in your phone. Have it with you. Make a note in your Bible so that you know where it is. And I will say this. You really should always have a Bible with you. I always have a, a Bible in my car. I, always have, I, I almost always have a Bible with me in some way. And then I always have my phone with me. And if I have my phone with me, I have a Bible on my phone. All right. Um, I like the Olive Tree Bible, that Olive Tree program. I think it's free, isn't it? And that works great. The search on it works fantastic. And it's, a, it's easy to read. You can show it to people. So have that with you. Um, the other thing about answering questions is this. Don't freeze. How many of you, you're not good at taking tests? Right? There are people, it comes time. You know the material. You've studied it. You've got it. You sit down in front of you. You, take, you look at the test. And all of a sudden, you're a blank. For me, it was that way when I started singing. I, I'd get nervous and I couldn't remember the words to the song. The first time I sang a solo in Bible college, I messed it all up. And the president of the college got up and all he could say was, Jim's a good guy. <laughs> That's like saying a girl has a good personality. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not a compliment. And um, so all of us at certain times get to a place where we just don't know the answer. Here's the thing. It's okay. That is okay. How many of you have ever had someone ask you a question at your job, and it is your job, and you didn't know the answer? Has that ever happened? What do you do? I'll have to find that out, and I'll get back to you. Do you know what you should do if somebody asks you a Bible question that you don't know the answer to? You know what? That's a good question. Let me, I'll find that out, and I'll get back to you. Do you know what that does? All that is is that's an appointment for another opportunity for you to share the gospel with them. What you've done right there is now you have another opportunity to have a conversation with that person. But here's what we do. Because the world is all about us, well, I'm embarrassed. I guess I'll never talk to that person again because I was embarrassed. How many of you think that that's what the Lord would have you do? No. You know what? And I've said this. You wouldn't say it this way because you'll understand in a minute. I'm a preacher. I really ought to know that answer. I don't know that. I'll find that out and get back to you. When can I call you back? When do you want to get together? When do you want to meet? I've, that's happened to me. So all of us, so don't, don't worry. Get yourself out of it, right? Don't worry about how you look in answering the question. Understand the importance of the question, the importance of the soul to whom you're speaking, and at that moment, make it, a, make it your, your mission to find the answer to that question and then be sure and follow up with that individual. 
Now, that being said, wouldn't it be better if you had the answer? Right? So, here's where, let's go back to where I started tonight. Um, when I answer questions, people will say, I would like to be able to answer questions that way. My first point was that the Lord gave me a good memory. All right. Now, the Lord gave many of you good memories. And I think what, what I think is interesting are the people who don't believe that they have good memories. Right? And then you'll be in their house and someone will call them and they'll say, what's the recipe for those sugar cookies? And you'll say, well, it's five pounds of sugar and three pounds of butter and, well, whatever it is. How many of you have ever watched a lady stand there on the phone and give a recipe? How many of you have ever seen that? That's that same lady. Most of those ladies will say, I don't have a good memory. Right? And you all have heard me do this before. I remember this guy years ago when I was a kid talking about his car, and it was a, a I think it was a, six, a 69 Super B. And here's what it, it had a 440, or it had a, it had a 383 with 440 heads and cams. It had a 1600 CFM Holley carburetor. And all this information, how many of you guys know what I'm talking about with all that stuff? Well, the guys who talk about that stuff are the ones who tell you they can't memorize Scripture. Right? And here's the thing. Because of the way that we work, an auto mechanic generally is not a, a person who would say, I'm an expert in literature. And yet they know where everything in that car is. And of course, now to be an auto mechanic, you have to be a computer whiz. Right? So it's changed a little bit. But it, it is interesting to me how we have these verbal careers and nonverbal careers. So Denver Smith is an engineer. He does CAD drawings. You probably don't talk a lot at work, do you? But you better know what you're doing, right? And yet it's interesting. If you asked him to explain to you what he does, he could do it. Now, here, a problem we might run into, you might not understand the words. And then sometimes it's hard for a person who is, is excellent in their field and who really understands their work, it's difficult for that person to translate it to a person who doesn't have a background in it. My brother-in-law is a computer programmer, uh, he designs programs, you know, Microsoft Project. Some of you have used Microsoft Project. It wouldn't work. So they came to him, and he wrote uh, what they call an add-on so that all the different parts of it could talk to each other. And so when my mom was in the hospital uh, right before we lost her, so we were there. We had hours and hours and hours at the hospital. And so I, it was the middle of the night. I had uh, Daniel alone. I said, I want you to tell me what you do. Well, no, I don't want to hear, no excuses. Use whatever language you have. I want you to explain to me what you do. And you know what he did? He did. He explained. You want to know something? I still have no idea what he does. <laughs> but it was really fun to hear it. It was, it was really fun. And yet he would never consider himself a speaker or a teacher or anything like that. We have to get past this. We have to get past this. Any of you who have a job, if you have someone that is under you, and I understand that's probably not politically correct speech anymore. Now we're a team and we work together. I just happen to have all this responsibility and I give it to you, you know. 
Um, but it, you know, so Doug's a team leader. Well, Doug had better be able to explain to the people on that team what's expected of them. Is that right? Because they're not the ones who are going to get in trouble. It's you. Team whatever. It's coming down on you. And so Doug wouldn't consider himself a speaker or a teacher, and yet his whole job is communicating to people what needs to be done. All right? So I know that that was long, and, and what, I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you away from this concept of, well, he's a preacher, I'm not. He can answer the questions, I can't. Um, Wade's a teacher, so Wade can communicate. I'm not a teacher, so I can't. Uh, Bob Curlis, when you went into your business, did you, did you ever imagine, when you were training, did you ever have any idea how much you would be talking to people? The, a big part of his job is consultation. What do I do with this? How do these drugs work with these? I took this drug and whatever. And he has to be able to explain how all of those things work together for the people. You go to the pharmacy. Do you have any questions on this drug? This guy, how many, do, you have, do you know how many drugs you're supposed to know about? Do you have any idea? So he didn't go to school thinking, I'm going to explain to people what five or 6,000 drugs do. And yet, that's his job. Okay? Now, this is just an... <laughs> How many of you were thinking about Bob when Brother Mails was talking this morning about not wanting to have kids when he couldn't run and couldn't... I was thinking of Bob. <laughs> anyway... Did you, in, in pharmacy school, did, was there a class on how to explain this stuff to people? We did have it called professional counseling. That's an interesting thing. And so in just, it is fun to think about what other people have to do on their jobs and they weren't prepared. How many of you have gone to a doctor who explained a procedure to you and after he explained what you needed, you still had no idea what they were talking about? It's a unique thing for a doctor who can tell you what's going on with it. You know, usually it might be this, it might be this, it might, you know, it might be a headache. It might be that you're, you're, you know, you've got your hair parted too tightly or whatever. It might be a brain tumor. And you go home and you say, oh, no, my goodness, what in the world is this? And so this is where, how many of you don't want to give those kinds of answers? Right? So what are we going to do? We need to know what we believe. We need to know what we believe. And then, Pastor Nathan, are we ready up here? We need to know how to think. Before you can answer questions, before you can win debates, you need to know how to think. So, here we are. We're, uh, look at your handout. Building a framework for biblical thinking, logical fallacies. Identifying logical fallacies. So, first of all, what is logic? Logic is the study of co correct and incorrect reasoning. The study of correct and incorrect reasoning. Now, why is this important? Because it's amazing how convoluted some people's thinking is. You know, especially teenagers. You know, you have a, you're, for me, I remember I was going to jump my bike over a ditch. Had one of those banana, you know, the banana seat bikes. You all know what I'm talking about. 
And so I'm sure I had the playing card with the, the, the clothespin, you know, so it sounded fast when I would ride. And I was going to jump my bike over a ditch. And so I got going as fast as I could, and I got to that ditch and just drove right into the ditch. <laughs> and it really, 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 really hurt. All right? Now, let me explain my thinking. I had watched it on TV. Other, you know, Evil Knievel, that was in the Evil Knievel days. Evil Knievel jumps stuff on a bike. I can jump stuff on a bike. The difference was he was on a motorcycle with a ramp. I was on a bicycle without a ramp. And you can see I, I have struggled with physics all my life. All right, what was missing? Besides common sense, what was missing? A ramp. What was that? That was incorrect thinking. Now, here, here's the issue. <laughs> Help me feel better. How many of you in your life have experienced just on your own the result of incorrect thinking similar to that? Right? We all do it. I got off a motorcycle on the wrong side. I really wished I hadn't done that. It burned my leg like you wouldn't believe. Incorrect thinking. All of us experience this incorrect thinking. I really wish I hadn't done that. Now, here's the problem. Now we have a whole society that's based on incorrect thinking. Right? And the people around us, that's incorrect thinking. And I'll go back to Bob. Somebody comes into the pharmacy and the drug is, you know, $100 and their insurance is only going to pay $25. Well, you're supposed to just give that to them, Bob. That, why, aren't you nice? Don't you love people? Don't you? And can you imagine if he has a thousand people come in there a month who expect him to pay the difference on the drugs? Now, he's never said this to me. He's not. I guarantee you that's what happens to him every week of his life, probably every day of his life. How many of you would honestly say that that's incorrect thinking? It's not his responsibility to pay for my drugs, right? And, but that's the world that we live in. So now, let's go on. Logic is the study of correct and incorrect thinking. Now, I mentioned that we're going to talk about logical fallacies. Logical fallacies. What are logical fallacies? Logical fallacies are mistakes in reasoning. All right, so fancy name for something that's very simple. Mistakes in reasoning. And we're going to look at these. These are kind of fun. Logic involves the use of arguments. Now, this isn't what you and your wife do. That's not what I'm talking about. Logic involves the use of arguments. An argument is a chain of statements, those are propositions, in which the truth of one is asserted on the basis of the other or the others. All right? So I'm going to build an argument. Um, we could say that um, chairs are designed to hold people up. Therefore, I can sit on a chair. Right? So the being able to sit on the chair is based on the, on the, on the premise that chairs are designed to hold people up, okay? Um, biblically, we're supposed to argue in this way. We are to prove a reasoned argument for our faith. Um, look, at, look at the text here, 1 Peter 3.15. I know many of you know this, but let's look at it. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason 
of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, with meekness and fear. Now, I know the modern translations say gentleness and respect, all right? That's not what the verse is teaching. I don't even know where they get those English words. It's meekness, that is, forget about yourself. It's not about you. Answering the questions, it's not about you. And fear. Now, it's not fear of the person that you're talking to. It's fear of God. So I'm not going to worry about myself. I'm going to fear God, and I'm going to be ready to give an answer, a reasoned answer to the person who asks me. And that's the reason that we're doing this, uh, this study. All right? Now, an argument considers certain information as accepted. An argument considers certain information as accepted. This is called a premise. It's called a premise. So in my argument that I made a minute ago, I said um, chairs are designed to hold people up. Now, how many of you here would accept that premise? Right? Because there's not really much purpose for a chair that doesn't hold people up. All right? Therefore, I can sit on the chair. That's a reasonable conclusion based on my premise. All right? Based on this premise, the argument proceeds to demonstrate that another claim also must also be true. This claim is the conclusion. So I have a conclusion based on a premise. All right? Now, we really are going somewhere. Don't, don't zone out on me. So here's an example. Pastor Alter is not working in the office today, so he must be working from home. The first sentence is the premise. All right? So Pastor Alter is not in the office today. The arguer assumes we agree to this premise and then draws the conclusion that he is probably working from home. All right? Now, that would be, that's a reasonable conclusion. And we have that in your notes. It's a re this is a reasonable argument. The conclusion does seem likely given the premise. So this is called a cogent argument. It's a cogent argument. Um, it would be like this. Birds fly. Dinosaurs came from birds, therefore dinosaurs can fly. Well, my premise is right. Birds fly. My conclusion's ridiculous. Isn't that right? Of course, there are entire movies and species of dinosaurs and all designed based on that kind of thinking. But that's, that's where we're coming. So that would not be a cogent argument. This type of argument is classified as an inductive argument because the conclusion is likely but not proved from the premise. After all, Pastor Alter could be on vacation, all right, or just lazy, all right? So the, the conclusion is a fair conclusion, but it's inductive because it can't be proved. If the conclusion were not very likely, given the premise, then the argument would be considered weak rather than cogent, all right? So this is important. This is how we understand logic and thinking and argumentation. And it's very important because a lot of the arguments you hear on television, you listen to people talking, they literally make no sense at all. They make no sense. We as believers need to defend the Scriptures in a much better way than that. So now let's look at a deductive argument, a deductive argument. In this type of, type of argument, it is asserted that the conclusion definitely follows from the premises, not just probably, all right? An example of that is all dogs are mammals, and all mammals have hair, therefore all dogs have hair. All right? That's, that's deductive reasoning. The, the conclusion is proved from the premise and the evidence. All right?
So the conclusion of this argument definitely follows from the premises. That is, if the premises are true, then the conclusion has to be true as well. All right? An example would be um, A equals B. B does not equal C. Therefore, A cannot equal C. Very simple. Deductive reasoning. It's very simple. Basics in logic. Reasoning. How to understand correct and incorrect decisions. Now, look at a valid argument. This is, this is a valid argument. All dogs are mammals, and all mammals have hair, therefore all dogs have hair. This is a valid argument. If the conclusion did not follow for a deductive argument, then the argument would be invalid. All right? So if I said all dogs are mammals and all mammals are dogs, therefore only dogs are mammals, that's an invalid argument. That's an invalid argument. So how many of you are following so far? It's pretty simple, isn't it? And yet much in the world violates just this simple thinking. So what we have to do is we have to be confident that we can understand simple thinking. You don't have to be a rocket surgeon to be able to, to follow this, right? You don't have to be the sharpest crayon in the shed. Think about that one for a minute. Sharpest clown in the circus. All right. Now remember, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Why do we need this? Because my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. The natural man, even in his thinking, is going to move away from God. We as believers know the truth. We can know how to think and how to reason. So let's look at these logical fallacies. Reification. Reification. Now, I know what happens with some people. You see big words like this and you go, oh no, I can't understand. Well, you can. You can. Let's look at what it is. Reification is attributing a concrete characteristic to something that is abstract. A concrete characteristic to something that is abstract. Reification is also commonly called hypostatization, which is a great word. All right. So we're going to look at what reification is. And this is so common. Have you ever heard it? It's not nice to fool Mother Nature. The, wasn't it the, uh, the butter commercials? What was that? Uh, was it parquet? No, I don't think it was. Chiffon. It was chiffon. I, I, in my mind, all I could think of was Charmin, and that's something completely different. <laughs> all right. So it's not nice to fool Mother Nature. This is an example of a reification because nature is an abstraction. It is simply the name we give to the chain of events in the universe. Isn't it wonderful that Mother Nature created this for us? Right? That, that's silly. There's no Mother Nature. There's no such thing. Now, nature is not a person and cannot literally be fooled since nature does not have a mind. So this expression would not make sense if taken literally. The idea of fooling Mother Nature, that's just... That's taking poetic license, and it's not wrong to say something like that if you understand its silliness. But when all of a sudden Mother Nature is making a man from a monkey, now all of a sudden you've moved to something that's... It, it's moved into the realm of the absurd, right? 
reification. It's really important. It is very common for evolutionists to commit this fallacy. And here's, here's a statement that they'll make. Nature has designed some amazing creatures. How many of you ever read or heard a statement like that? Nature, nature does amazing things. Really? Really? Uh, this sentence commits the fallacy of reification because nature does not have a mind and cannot literally design anything. Have you ever had a nice conversation with a rock? Now, be honest. Be honest. How many of you had a pet rock? Hold your hands up. Tony Slade did. That, that, I, that doesn't surprise me. And Jenny had a Who else? Over back here, you've got a pet rock? Awesome. How many? Anybody else? Did you name Diana, did you name it? You, you made pet rocks. All right, so that's, that's interesting. She went to a very poor school system. <laughs> now, have you ever had a conversation with a rock? But Brother Males talked about that this morning. We've talked about that before in, in Revelation chapter 6, you know, where the kings and the great men and the mighty men and the, the, the free man and the bond man, they cry unto the rocks of the mountains and say, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So what they have been worshiping, the earth, they actually go to the earth and pray to the earth and pray that the earth will... The earth's not going to listen to you. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. It's, it's a fallacy. It, by using the fallacy of reification, the evolutionist obscures the fact that the evolution worldview really cannot account for the design of living creatures. See, when someone says Mother Nature did a wonderful thing designing this dog or adapting this dog or whatever, that sounds innocent. But what it's really doing is it's revealing that they simply cannot explain the obvious design in that creature. I, I like it so much. What a great God. What a great God. In our yard, we get to see all kinds of animals, Lydia and Jacob. and we get, to see, we get to see all of these creatures. And it's just fun to see what these animals do. It's just amazing to watch them. And what we always say is it's so cool to see what, how God did this. It's, it's wonderful. I like going to the zoo. I remember when we took Jacob to the zoo. I remember, remember that, that Jungle Book. You all seen Jungle Book? Jacob was two and he saw the elephants. And he said to the elephants, he said, say, pick them up, two, three, pick them up. And he meant it. He really wanted these elephants to start doing what he had seen. And it was cute then, but now he thinks there's really Transformers and sad. It's sad. <laughs> y'all, y'all know who Karl Marx's favorite Transformer was? I, I messed it up. President Obama's favorite Transformer was Karl Marx. But anyway, that's it. You have to be educated to like that joke. The rest of you just don't. All right. By using the fallacy of reification, the evolutionist obscures the fact that the evolution worldview really cannot account for the design of living creatures. So when we're looking at something like this logical fallacy of reification, we can think, and this is why application is so important, we can, why do I need to know what reification is? Because your kids will hear about it every day. If you take your children to a museum, it's going to be reification the whole time that they're there. Let's look at some other examples of this. God can design creatures 
Because God is a supernatural being. That's a whole lot different than don't fool with Mother Nature. One's a statement of fact, one is not. Nature is a concept and cannot design anything. How many of you have noticed that when you let your yard go, it doesn't help? Is that right? If you want it to look like it's been manicured, do you know what you have to do? Manicure it. It's not going to do it by itself. Unless you're Ty Blackford, and he says that he wants to his to look like when you go to the mountains and you look out and you see the natural landscape. That's what he's wanting to do in Sydney. Am I right? Is that what you said? Yeah. All right. No, almost there. Okay. Creationists say the world was created supernaturally, but science says otherwise. Bill Nye would make a statement just like that. All right. Look. The creationists say the world was created supernaturally, but science says otherwise. Here the person has attributed personal, concrete attributes to the concept of science. In doing so, here she overlooks the important fact that scientists draw conclusions about the evidence and verbalize such conclusions, not science. Has anyone ever had a test tube speak to you? How many of you wish in one of your classes it would have? Right? I have one <laughs> <laughs> You know, you dissect that frog. No, that's cool. It's not disgusting. You dissect that frog, and then the appendix says, do frogs have appendixes? I don't know. And the gizzard says, I'm the frog's gizzard. Is that what happens? No, no. You have to discern that. You have to find that out. Your teacher says, okay, this is this. This is whatever. This is, ta- this is Taylor's vomit. Okay. It doesn't say, the, the science doesn't say anything. Scientists interpret it and then tell us. Very important. It's very, very important that we get that. Scientists draw conclusions about the evidence and verbalize these conclusions. Science doesn't do it. Science is a concept, is, is a conceptual tool that can be used properly or improperly. It says nothing. It does not take a position on issues. Now, science tells us that homosexuals are born that way. Really? Science doesn't take a position on that. Interesting. Interesting. It says nothing. It does not take a position on issues. So this is a common example. This common example of reification is logically fallacious. How about this one? The evidence speaks for itself. Anyone ever heard that? Evidence doesn't speak. The evidence does not speak at all. Evidence is a concept. The name we give to a body of facts that we believe to be consistent with a particular point of view. People draw conclusions about evidence and verbalize their thoughts, but evidence itself does not have thoughts to verbalize. You know, I think we've seen too many Disney movies. Teacups don't talk. Right? Now, how about this one? Evolution figured out a way around these problems. Really? 
This is a reification. It's a reification. But, of course, evolution is a concept. It has no mind and cannot figure out anything. So this example, again, obscures the difficulty in accounting for design in the universe without appealing to a mind. It is a fallacious use of reification. Now, now that you're seeing some of these examples, how many of you recognize how important it is to see it and to be able to, be able to identify it? You young people, you're going you're gonna to battle this. All through, you go off to college, you go off into life. How can you believe that? Science has told us, really. Science doesn't talk. Well, you know what I mean. No, tell me what you mean. Use your words. You can talk. Science can't. Explain it to me. Even the phrase natural selection is an example of reification and could be considered a fallacy if used in an argument. Nature cannot literally select. It can't do it. What is natural selection? This is so interesting. We do believe in the concept called natural selection. Yes, organisms that are well-suited to an environment are more likely to su survive than those that are not well-suited. You go to Antarctica and you'll die. Why? Because we are not an organism well-suited to that environment. A polar bear can make it. Why? Because they have really thick fur. Right? Now, you might be hairy. Have you ever noticed that hairy guys are bald? I think that's awesome. <laughs> but you might be... You might be hairy. And I don't mean Harry Starnes. This is different. <laughs> you might be a hairy guy. You're not hairy enough to make it in Antarctica. Why? You're not an organism suitable for that environment. How many of you follow that? Are you with me on that? It's really interesting. Now, <laughs> this is fun. This is tautologically true. Now, tautological... The, there's two different forms of that word. I think I have the definition here for you. This is tautologically true. A statement always considered correct and is something that both creationists and evolutionists believe. All right? So we understand that in certain environments, there are organisms that can make it, and in other environments, they can't. How many of you believe that? Right? That's all. We get that. That's not a problem. Now, definition, tautology is logic. It's a statement that is true by necessity or virtue of its logical form. That's from the New Oxford Dictionary, Kindle edition. So now, how are we going to answer, I made up this word, re a reificator. <laughs> how are we going to answer them? Now, this is fun. This is where, this is the stuff that I love. How many of you, you watch a show and somebody makes a statement and a really smart person answers it and you say, oh, I wish I could do that. Just put them in their place, and they always have the... Here's how you can do this to the reificator. You can, you can be that person. Here's the question. Why is it that animals are well-suited to their environment? See, natural selection tells us why they aren't. They die. But we know that they're not suited because they die. That doesn't explain to us why some make it. Well, nature provided this animal with a thick fur coat. Isn't nature sweet? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Look, if an evolutionist answered, so you have, why is it that animals are well-suited to their environment? If an evolutionist answered natural selection, this would be the fallacy of reification. It poetically obscures the true reason that animals are designed to survive. God. Why do polar bears make it? Because God made them. 
Amen? It's just so amazing. Uh, Think about it. Natural selection does not actually explain why we find organisms suited to their environment. It only explains why we do not find organisms that are unsuited to their environment, i.e., because they die. It is God, not nature, who has given living beings the abilities they need to survive. Isn't that awesome? Do you know what God gave you? He gave you two hands. He gave you a mind. Do you know what God told you to do when it's cold out? Go inside. Isn't that brilliant? It's... And it's interesting. Teenagers, you can tell that God has not given them a mind yet because they need mommy to tell them to come inside. Put your coat on! You're going to freeze to death, Arling boys. (laughs) Nick, am I right? Absolutely. Oh, it's cold out? Oh, okay. (laughs) This is so interesting. God gave us... You know, when did men invent fire? <laughs> the greatest invention was the wheel. No, the greatest invention was Starbucks. <laughs> Depends on what you need at the moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> Often the concept being reified is given personal characteristics, the ability to think, to have an opinion, and so on. When concepts are personified in this way in an argument, it is sometimes called the pathetic fallacy. Now, it is kind of pathetic that people would use it, but that's not what it's talking about. This comes from the word empathy because we are attributing thoughts and feelings to something that cannot possess them. So the pathetic fallacy is a type of reification. Imagine this. Do you think the cliff feels bad when you fall off it? No, that's why those commercials, have you seen the commercial about, you know, I guess, I don't know if it's a Geico commercial or whatever, does a tree make a sound and the tree's falling and it's going, oh, oh, I'm falling, oh, 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 that's really funny because it doesn't happen. You know, I've always thought if a man says something and his wife's not there to hear it, is he still wrong? I, I don't know. So here, this comes from the word empathy because we are attributing thoughts and feelings to something that cannot possess them. So the pathetic fallacy is a type of reification. So here, let's just look at these are basic examples of reification that you'll hear. All right? Nature has found a way. Nature's found nothing. It doesn't doesn't work. It It doesn't do it. Life invaded the dry land. that interesting? Natural selection guided the development of this species. Isn't natural selection wise? It is so wise. Here's my problem. I have many problems. But you have these these environmentalists, and I guess there's there's a new endangered species, and it's this particular kind of mouse. And it's going to, so people aren't going to be able to farm their land because this mouse might, become extinct. These are the same people who believe in natural selection. If it's survival of the fittest, it ought to die then. If it can't make it, then we don't need it. Because if it can't make it, then it's just weak and it'll weaken the species. Do you see how inconsistent their thinking is? How many of you see the inconsistency in that? Isn't that right? All right. 
than this one. Science says that we must limit explanations to the natural world. Science said that, really? Do you have the, a recording of this? When and where did science tell us this? How many of you recognize just seriously how ridiculous that statement is? But you might not have thought it was ridiculous until you really thought about this concept of reification. And here's what happens. They'll make a statement like this and it intimidates you. So if I disagree with this, science says we must limit explanations to the natural world. Well, I believe in God, so I guess I'm not scientific. That statement's not scientific. The statement's ridiculous. And again, you've heard me say it before. That would be like saying we must explain World War II, but we're not allowed to talk about Hitler. Can't do it. Can't do it. Follow the evidence where it leads. Follow the evidence where it leads. Evolution tells us much about the way the world works. Really? I would love to interview evolution. That would be great. The only problem is you can't do it. And this is where we need to become much more confident. And when we get through with this study of logical fallacies, the next one's equivocation, and it, it, it's fun. Here, I, I did just a couple of them. We want, we're not going to do equivocation today. You don't have it in your notes, but this will give you a, a preview. Most words have a range of possible meanings, but only one of these meanings will, proper, will properly fit a given context. When someone shifts from one meaning of a word to another within an argument, he or she has committed the fallacy of equivocation. Here's an example. Doctors know a lot about medicine. Now, my friend Michael Scott, he has a doctorate in theology, okay? You remember Brother Mike, he preaches, works in, preaches here sometimes, works with our journal, all right? Doctors know a lot about medicine, and Dr. Scott is a doctor, so he must know a lot about medicine. Well, what happened there? That's an equivocation. This, use of, it, it, this short argument shifts from one meaning of the word doctor, medical doctor, to another, THD, making the argument fallacious. Michael Scott doesn't know a thing about medicine. I'm not going. If, if, if I'm sick, I'm going to go to Dr. Ree. He says I'm his only male patient. <laughs> Some of those tools make me nervous, though. Anyway, different conversation. <laughs> this use of equivocation is sometimes called a bait and switch fallacy. Because the listener is baited on one meaning of a word, and then the meaning is switched to draw a faulty conclusion. That is equivocation. And so what we're going to do is we're going to learn how to identify these things. And then when we're done with this study, I'm just going to give you, I'm going to give you a statement, and you're going to tell me which logical fallacy is involved. It's going to be fun. And we get done, you're going to have all these handouts, you're going to have all the information. And it's, we're going to learn how to think and how to address... Now, you already know many... You're brilliant. You know how to think. We're going to bring logic, and we're going to define these things so you know what's going on in an argument, and especially you, you high schoolers and you, you young adults that are in college or getting ready to go to college. This is going to help you so much to mess with your professors. It's awesome. All right? Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for Grace Baptist Church and the opportunity to teach your word.